With me today is Dr. Jill Walachek, currently professor at Saginaw Valley State University. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, The Principal Ship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. With me today is Dr. Jill Walachek, former principal at a local elementary school in um, Saginaw County and currently professor at Saginaw Valley State University. And to my great pleasure, IEE coach. So welcome, Jill. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited that you're here today and that we get to talk about your experiences as a as a principal. Um, as you know, we talked about this idea of creating a podcast really to help folks who are struggling with the role, the job, the life, all of those mm-hmm. things that are a challenge as we um do the work that we're often mission driven by, like our values hold that we love kids and um and yet the work is really exhausting and challenging. Yeah, I I love the name of the podcast because it I think it holds very true to that role. It is the hardest job that you still love to show up for every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little tongue in cheek, but mm-hmm. um True. True. Very true. So Jill, tell us about your values, your uh, love for kids. What is it that drew you to the principalship? And um, what was your sort of ideal or your dream as you were going into it about why you tackled that job? Well, I was a a teacher for 13 years before that at, at the elementary level. And I love working with elementary kids And I didn't think that when I was in college, you know, getting my teaching certificate, I was certain I was going to be a secondary person. And um, and then I did some field work in elementary and and I quickly just knew that I loved working with elementary kids, their enthusiasm every day. um, You know, they they love to. You know, they do the hugs and they're so um, compliant towards just that enthusiasm for learning and wanting to be at school. And so that really just drew me towards elementary, the role of elementary and staying in that world. And when I was able to um, to take a seat in, in the principalship, I, I still got to do that. I still got to be around the energy of those kids and knowing that I was having a greater impact on their school experience. Um, just made it worth it to show up every day. Oh, that's awesome. So I do think that we are uh, naturally drawn to a grade level. Um, I found myself to be a middle school person, and I spent a little bit of time in elementary, both when I first started teaching and then as an elementary principal. And I, I joke a lot that I'd rather get flipped off than hugged any day. <laughs> so I know that the middle school is the right place for me because, you know, when you make an impact on a middle schooler, they don't hug you. They don't tell you that you did a great job. Usually you kind of disrupted their life and they 
want to tell you where to go. <laughs> but in the end, you know, you made a difference for him. And I think that about secondary, you know, mm-hmm. when I look at secondary, I think, oh, I just don't think secondary is for me. But when I look at elementary, I think, yeah, yeah that's where I live. That's yeah. my home. Yeah. And so the principalship you saw as an opportunity to broaden your reach on students. And so talk a little bit about how you made that happen as a principal, because oftentimes people who move from the teacher's role to the principalship feel like they're for one step further away from students. Mm-hmm. And so talk about how you saw that as an opportunity of growth. Yeah. I mean, you feel that it's one step farther away, but I think in reality, you get to impact a broader range. One of the benefits of, of being in a role like the principalship is that you are able to see kids grow from their preschool years all the way through that elementary experience. So being able to see a child who maybe struggled in those early years, but you get to see that progress that happens over the course of their five or six years in your building, there is just um, the, the gratification that comes from that, just knowing that you have had an impact on this child as they grew over those years. And that's not always apparent to you know, a particular grade level, you know, if I'm a third grade teacher, I probably am seeing things from my third grade lens. But when you're able to be on the next level and you see kids across that whole spectrum, you see the impact because you can see the kids change over time or you can see data grow over time. So it's kind of just it sits at a different level Mm -hmm. when you're you're able to see that impact. So you were really able to see yourself as continuity for the students across their at their elementary mm-hmm. career, so mm-hmm. to speak, both in behavior and academics and maybe even sometimes the things happening in their lives. Yeah. And I mean, the research is clear on longevity of leadership, right? I mean, the longer a leader is in place somewhere, kind of the better the outcomes are going to be. And I think that was true for me. Um, and I was able to just experience that the longer you're there, the more you feel like the things that you're trying to do for kids, you can watch those play out a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. So um, I, I imagine that there are some principals listening to this going, oh, my gosh. And now I'm supposed to keep track of kids over time. Mm-hmm. And, and how do I do that in light of, you know, all the other responsibilities that I have? So talk a little bit about, I think, two things. One, the frustrations you had as a principal and managing everything. And then two, how did you kind of sort and organize the, the responsibilities? Mm-hmm. So there's several different, what I look at is like buckets of leadership, right? There's distributed leadership, there's transformational leadership, there's instructional leadership, and then there's managerial leadership. And and all of those things have to happen. We often get caught in this kind of black or white, like I have to be an instructional leader and you have to be all these other, Mm -hmm. wear all these other leadership hats too. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of the job. But then how do we tip the scales to lean towards that instructional leadership? That's where you want to live. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to live there all the time Mm -hmm. because There are so many things that are dividing your time. Um, But I think if you're on this constant quest to tip the scales towards instructional leadership, that's where you want to go. But don't you can't beat yourself up when you're saying today I really lived in kind of a manager role today. Yeah, there are days that you you do live in those spaces. 
And then there are days when you are really great at distributed leadership. You have teams that are working really well together or you're building new teams. That's really good work too. And so we have to try to not live in those black and white spaces and remember that there are gray areas and keep your eyes on instructional leadership, keep pushing into that realm, but know that it's okay to live in other spaces. And that's just the nature of the work. So giving yourself grace is really important as you just have things firing at you mm -hmm. and recognizing that if you did the best job you could do today, you did all right. Yes. And when you, you go to leadership trainings or you build social contracts or you do all these things, you'll see these lists that people create for leaders. You need to be this. You need to be this. You need to be this. And it becomes overwhelming really quickly. Mm. Whenever it comes to my turn to add to the list, I always add the word grace mm. because we have to remember to extend that to ourselves and to other people. Um, this role is dynamic. There is a lot going on and it's all okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. oh, thanks. So what was your um, biggest challenge as a school leader? What, what did you find was just, a, you know, is there a pivotal time that you went, oh, this is tough. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that um, I have said in the past, and I've heard other people say this too, is the missing component of of your learning, you know, when you're, you're going to earn your administrative certificate, you're going to go be a school administrator. The missing piece I always said for me was kind of the human relations piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to manage a lot of adults and I want those adults to have really great impact on kids. And how do I do that really well? And, you know, people are very dynamic, different groups operate differently. How do I help support each one in a certain way? And so I think trying to work with adults and really build and help support them in a way that they're going to be able to have the greatest impact on kids that was that was probably one of my bigger challenges or one of the things that I thought about a lot. How do I do that really well? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting you say that because I do remember, too, as a principal, um, being caught off guard by the emotions of the adults mm -hmm. and almost this necessity to be uh, one level of consciousness above all of that. And And when I entered the position, as I said, I thought it was about running the building and managing the children and, and mm -hmm. making sure that instruction happened. And to do that, you also have to create a safe space for the adults who are dealing with life as it hits them, a death, a birth, a divorce, yeah. a sickness, a sick parent, and, mm -hmm. and everyone in our organization is human. Yeah. And that's where it starts. And I always felt like I, I really wanted to help keep everyone's plates spinning really well. So what were like structures I could put in place that would help people, you know, stay more organized or avenues for them to be able to come to me yeah. for support or things like that. You know, I was always looking for systems to build so that I could help the adults keep all of their plates spinning, knowing, like you said, they have things going on and in, in their life outside of work. Um, so just managing, helping them to manage all those pieces and wanting them to be high performing adults for kids. Um, so always looking for new learning, too, on how do we build collaborative teams or high performing teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the pieces of our work um, with IE, I think, is helping raise 
helping to raise the consciousness level of the teachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they primarily see their job as, and this is a generalization, so I apologize, but teachers' responsibility primarily is to educate students. Mm -hmm. And then there's this component that we know in the research that says when teachers work well collaboratively together and they create a culture that's welcoming and open, the uh, outcomes for students improve. And mm -hmm. so it feels sometimes as a principal like you're imposing a second level of outcomes on people who just want to get in and work with kids. Right. And so it's a challenge. Yeah. And helping them to see that, that those broader structures though will help everyone accomplish their goals, mm -hmm. but it does kind of sometimes feel like one more thing or mm -hmm. one more constraint or one more assignment to be done. Um, but those high functioning systems and high performing teams help everybody get where they want to go. So Jill, tell us about the most exciting thing that happened uh, in your principalship and the thing you're really, really proud of that you were able to focus on or do as in your time in a school. Well, that is a hard question because, you know, you can think of kids that you've potentially had impact on. And so that like pulls at the heartstring immediately, you know, it's just thinking about kids or certain kids that you know that somehow or you hope that you had an impact on mm -hmm. while they Transfer were with you, them, yeah. you know? Um, but when I think of something I'm most proud of, I'm going to probably talk about our literacy initiatives because, you know, as I was coming on board, it was right around the time when read by grade three legislation was, was rolling out and just knowing we needed to have some kind of a system in place to begin to address this. But as we started to do that work, um, we built some really great structures for kids for looking at data consistently and often and adjusting instruction and putting interventions into place and looking at more data. And, you know, we built something that I felt really good about and really proud of. And a lot of people spent a lot of time on, on it. it was certainly was not just my doing. There was a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into that, but I felt really good about what we had built for kids around literacy in our building. Mm. Yeah. So what I heard in that is really the long-term systems because mm -hmm. that creates sustainability and capacity. And so it wasn't really just about putting a literacy resource in front of people and saying, here you go, go mm -hmm. teach it. It was about building strong longitudinal systems. Yeah, it was all of us all about the system. Mm -hmm. We didn't introduce a new resource or anything like that. It was it was building the system that we knew um, could best influence what was happening in the classroom, uh, could best support instruction and best support students um, as we, you know, tried to address what we know is challenges in literacy. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. exciting. So back to your other question, your other point about uh, the human part of the job being the biggest challenge and kind of maybe the most unexpected part. What advice do you give to a new school leader when it comes to uh, managing the emotions of the adults and the mm. situationships of the adults, I guess? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess my advice would be, uh, I think you always have to start with the relationship building piece. Um, they need to feel, adults need to feel comfortable being able to come to you and talk about lots of different things. 
But there are a lot of little intricacies when you say the word relationships. You know, I mean, we're talking about trust and collaboration and having an open door and um, consistency. You know, people want to know that I'm I can be consistent so that my emotions aren't fluctuating, you know, wildly in this environment. You're going to get the same consistency from me all the time. So when I talk about relationships, I mean, it, it. there are some intricacies there. Um, but I would then say, just like we talk about kids wanting and needing kind of boundaries and expectations and things, I have a belief that, that adults also want that too. They want to know what is okay. What is not okay? Where are the boundaries? What are negotiable things? What are non-negotiable things? I think that helps everyone to thrive in their environment and adults want those things too. Again, this is like my bias and my experience, right? So um, I always thought it was a good idea to have things like that in place, to have negotiables, non-negotiables or however you frame those, you know, um, because I do think it helps the adults to operate better within the system and to know clearly what the expectations are. Um, so that they can meet those people show up to work wanting to do the best work and wanting to do right by kids. They do that every day. Um, but I think when you can give them their their parameters, their boundaries, I think that helps them to be the best that they can be when they show up to work every day. So you talked a little bit about modeling, mm-hmm. emotional modeling. Like I, I don't let my emotions go up and down. I don't kind of bring drama to the space. I stay the even, mm-hmm. even keeled. So modeling, uh, emotions and also just performance, you know, first to arrive, last to leave, those kind of things are mm-hmm. important. Um, I also heard you talk about, um, transparency. And so being very clear about expectations mm-hmm. so that people can depend on you. It's when things become a habit, then you don't have to stop and think about it. And really you want the systems to exist that allow good work to be the habit. And that requires you being transparent in your expectations. Yeah. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that she says is clear is kind, Mm -hmm. right? And unclear is unkind. Mm -hmm. If I'm holding an expectation in my head, but I'm not saying that expectation out loud or it doesn't live on a, chart paper somewhere or something that I, I could be holding people to an expectation that they don't even know exists. And you wouldn't show up and like give them a list, right? (laughs) How do you, how do you communicate those expectations? Uh, I, we always did it through, um, like working agreements, you know, that would be built ideally collaboratively. Although I know that sometimes those things can be hard to accomplish too in a tight timeline of a Mm -hmm. school year and only so many days can be devoted Mm -hmm. to certain things. But, you know, ideally collaboratively, you would, you would work through your working agreements because then everyone knows how we've agreed that we're going to work together. Yeah. So there's a communication piece, you know, as, as maybe sporadic things come up that you then communicate, well, this is how we're going to handle this situation or mm-hmm. here's an expectation for this, mm-hmm. um, but making it really clear and, and 
communicating that, that out to the masses or to that group of people. So sometimes when we do training, we say we're going to have a double track or a triple track agenda, mm -hmm. and we're going to teach you the content. And then we're going to call out when we do a strategy that can be used in a classroom so mm -hmm. that teachers see our thinking behind, like we pull the curtain back. And I believe what you're talking about is pulling the curtain back when you're making a decision in the moment and say a value I have or an expectation I have is this. And so I'm making this decision. Mm -hmm. And then the next time they come to a similar process or problem or challenge, they're going to think, oh, my leader expects me to blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that goes, you know, a little bit back to the conversation about, you know, discussion and dialogue. Right. And so, uh, having an understanding too of when does there need to be a decision that is made that comes from the leader mm -hmm. so that everyone is clear on what's happening here. And those things can sometimes pop up. You know, in a meeting, you might be talking about a certain way that you're going to do uh, this instructional practice. And so then the question in the room becomes okay, is this required or not required? Mm -hmm. So then as a leader, you have to say, Am I going to make a decision here on how I want this done? And if that's the case, then that needs to be clearly communicated to the whole. So our work with Adaptive Schools tells us that we have to decide on the decider, right? We have to be clear with the group of people we're working with, whether they hold the power of the decision or not. Mm -hmm. So that that is a common struggle, like polarity within groups who... And, and if there, if it lacks clarity, then they become angry and frustrated. You spent my time. I didn't get to make a decision. I'm being told what to do. So thank you for mm -hmm. raising that piece. Uh, Jill, so I just want to say thank you for your time today. It's been such a great pleasure to get your input on leadership and um, great to have you on our team. So thank I'm just thank, thankful for you. Thanks. And thanks for having me. And this is good work. And it is the hardest job that you will ever love. Join us for our next episode of The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. <laughs>